This is episode 16 of the Remix Your World podcast with Sydney Blue. Welcome to Remix Your World. I'm Allison Kalagna, global DJ and music producer turned life remixer and personal growth coach. In each episode, we bring you real talk, inspiring stories, and heartfelt conversations of personal transformation to help you uplift and amplify your life. This is the Remix Your World podcast. Just a heads up, if you are new to meditating and you have no idea where to start and are looking for a little guidance, I've got something for you. I produce something called the Mindful Mixtape and I'll send it to you. It's five guided meditations led by me all put to music. If you are interested in downloading this, text the words meditate now to 44222 and I'll send that to you now. Or you can find it at remixyourworld.com. Sydney Blue has established herself as one of the top electronic producers and DJs in the world. With an unbridled passion for live performance, music production, and all-around artistic creativity, Sydney has risen herself to the pinnacle of the electronic music industry. A proudly Canadian artist, Sydney's success is largely attributed to her relentless touring schedule, which she's upheld for several years. In 2009, Sydney Blue founded her own imprint, Blue Music, on the principle of authentic dance floor, rich house, and techno. On top of that, Sydney has released music on some of the most recognized labels in the industry, including Mousetrap, Tool Room, Kinetica, Material, KMS Records, Viva Music, and more. Her release, Give It Up For Me, on Mousetrap Recordings was one of Beatport's highest-selling songs, earning Sydney the rank of the first female electronic music producer to have hit top 10 on the platform. This year marked another milestone for the top-selling electronic artist as she currently hit top 20 on the Beatport Tech House chart with her new single, Mind Games on Hot Sense 82's Knee Deep in Sound. The song also was the top-selling track on the label's Amsterdam dance event sampler, making Sydney shine once again. This year, she released a run of solid releases on Roger Sanchez Under the Radar, Gene Ferris's Ferris Wheel Recordings, and was remixed by Italian techno heavyweights Perupa. Looking forward, expect releases from Sydney Blue under Joeski's Maya Recordings and many more. Yo, check this out! What's up, guys? Welcome to the Remix World podcast. It's episode 16 with me, Allison Kalagna. And today I'm talking to Sydney Blue. We sat down and talked about her history, how she came up, what she's doing now, what music she's releasing, her label Blue, and her big infamous party in Miami, the Blue Party that happens every year. So without further ado, I'm going to head over to my conversation with Sydney Blue. Well, 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 welcome, Sydney Blue, Miss Joanne Hill. How are you? Hi, I'm great. <laughs> I am. Are you in Toronto right now? You're at home in Toronto? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Toronto. I like I'm at home in my apartment. Nice. I like the painting that you got going on in the back wall. Thanks. That's actually uh, a uh, photo from one of my blue parties that was a gift made into a giant like painting it's actually me carlo leo and nathan barato playing together oh nice my blue parties and my friend for my birthday blew it up into like a giant life-size painting type deal and uh 
they gave it to me from one of my birthday dinner things. Awesome. All right. Yeah, your blue party. Yeah. It's it's growing and growing each year. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's been great. It's been a, definitely a fun thing to grow. Yeah. So we'll get to that. So I want to rewind the record a little bit. And can you, were you musical as a child? Like, tell, tell us about when you discovered this love and gift for music. Um, I, yeah, yes, I was. I um, did a lot of various different things around the music, you know, genre. I did piano lessons when I was a kid. I danced, uh, you know, uh, like jazz dancing, like took dance lessons and stuff. And then this is funny. And then I was a cheerleader when I was in high school. <laughs> I know. That's okay. I was in the pep, in the pep squad. Okay. Oh, that's fun though. See, I was really all about, I had a lot of energy in high school and I needed to get it out somehow. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, cheerleading is an outlet. I loved actually, uh, cheerleading. I also did the music for our routines. Shocking. Nice. Um, <laughs> and you know, some of that was when like kind of like techno and the rave scene was coming up in the nineties. So that's when I went to high school. So like, you know, I, I was, all, that's how the, my very first introduction to techno music, believe it or not, was through that. Um, because I, some people, I was from a very small town in Northern Canada. So we didn't, weren't exposed to that kind of music up mm. there. Like people would come back from like raves in Toronto and they'd have cassette tapes of like this, like t underground techie, whatever music. And I'd be like, wicked, I want to use this in the routine. And we use some of it in our cheerleading routines, mm. believe it or not. So that was like my first, like kind of like introduction to underground, like ravey music. But, um, do you remember one of the first tracks that like struck you? Can you remember one of the titles? <laughs> oh, come on. I remember James Brown is dead. Yes. Like, that was a really popular one. A lot of the cheerleading teams used that song yeah. to their routines and it was a big rave song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, back in like, that time, like that was like 95, 94, whatever, like a lot of the really cool house music was around like, um, uh, like live and joy. I'm a dreamer mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you know, funky green dogs fired up. And like, I just love that era because that was like the beginning of like house music for me anyways. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So as a kid, yeah, I guess I was into music and stuff. I wasn't a super musical kid, but I mean the bit of piano lessons that I had, uh, definitely helped me in the future, you know, as an adult, you know, I was always into something regarding, regarding music. Yeah. When did you decide, did you like, I want to be a DJ then? Was it, were you called to the DJ booth first or production? Uh, DJing, yeah. I, yeah. I DJed for a long time before I started producing. Um, I, uh, started DJing officially in the year 2000. Um, I decided I wanted to do it just before that. I, had um, been in college in Ottawa and I was going to college there for a couple of years. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I just was doing like the way I looked at it was you should do something you like. There wasn't a hell of a lot I liked at the time that had like a course for it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
traveling was something that I always thought I wanted to do. So there was like a course for travel and tourism, like to be in the travel industry, work at an airline, something mm. like that, you know, be a travel agent, which was a dying profession because <laughs> of the internet. Right. <laughs> like, canceled, the internet exists. But <laughs> that's like, I went to school for and I was, I was doing that in Ottawa and then somebody brought me to a like an underground nightclub mm-hmm. like a rave yeah I, I was like whoa mm-hmm. and then I was like this it changed my life yeah. you know I walked in there I saw a house DJ for the first time I was like this is crazy it was it was definitely a meaningful moment in my in my life because yeah. it changed my life walking in there was a club called Atomic in Ottawa mm. And what did you do after that? How did you then decide, all right, I got to have more? Um, well, I just like lived in Ottawa for two years going to college. I basically uh, like would go every Saturday to this place and I would be like, you know, like just moved, you know, by so many different DJs. I saw so many like DJs for the first time at that club, like Roger Sanchez, Derek Carter. Mm. Um, uh, DJ Sneak, Eric Murillo, like all these guys passed through. So it was really, um, important, I think in like my schooling of, you know, house music and stuff, uh, to see that because those guys were, those guys were everything back then. Um, and then I was started going out to different, you know, stereo Montreal, it still Mm -hmm. exists. Um, and, uh, I actually started to, um, go there for the, on the weekends because it was like an hour away from Ottawa. And then we would drive up to Toronto and go to parties there. And then some friends of mine were going to move to Toronto. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to move there. I actually got a job working at, uh, Walt Disney World. In Orlando or, or yeah, the one? Yeah, in Orlando. <laughs> job working out of my schooling like and I was okay do I really want to do this and then my friends had moved to Toronto and I started going out there and I don't know somehow I got turntables I was like I'm not gonna do this Walt Disney World thing and Mm -hmm. I stayed in Toronto and I uh and I just was like you know what I'm just gonna give it a shot and if in a year from now if it doesn't work out I'm not DJing anywhere then I'll take the job at Walt Disney World and I'll go to Disney and I'll work there because I thought it would be cool to work at Disney even though I had a friend that went and did that job and she said it was shit (laughs) (laughs) she's like we're like sweatshop workers like living in dorms and like all the money we have to like give it to them for rent like it was terrible apparently so I'm so glad I didn't take that job um, but yeah, so that was like this or this. And I decided to try the DJ thing just to see what would happen. And I was waitressing at the time to like pay the rent, you know? And, uh, so I gave it a shot and then I started getting gigs, like lots of gigs around the city. Yeah. 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 So okay. then I became a local DJ, a pretty big local DJ in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Time. Yeah. That's amazing. Walt Disney world or the turntables. <laughs> I know. I wouldn't even. I, I don't even know what I would have been doing, working in the Epcot Center or something. Like, oh, right. Not like a food stand. Like I don't even like. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that wasn't not your that path. Anything wrong with that, right? There's that wasn't your path. I um. I think the job was um, just like sold to me a lot more attractive than it that turned it out was. to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> According to the person that I knew that did take it, anyways. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. You definitely chose the, the, the right one for you. I mean, look yeah. now. So yeah. were, were your family uh, supportive at all? I mean, you, did you have really good allies coming up? Yeah, my fam- my parents were really supportive. It was really surprising because they're pretty conservative, both mm. of them. And I, <laughs> it's the one thing that they never um, questioned me really. On. Well, they occasionally they'd be like, "What are you? What exactly are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <gasps> but I, other than that, like once they started to see me do it, they were like, "Okay, we get it. Like she's this is, she's good at this. She knows. You know they." My especially now, my mom really knows. Like there was a, a time a couple years ago where I was starting to question things. Mm-hmm. I was going through that moment where I was like, "Do I really want to continue this?" And whatever, I was just going through like a tough time, and uh, and my mom was like, "Joanne, like you are so meant to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Like." And and that was my you know the my family, my cousin did the same thing actually when I brought that up to to her as well she was like uh you can't go this far and like not go all the way and I was like yeah you're right so just to hear your family say that that's a great feeling because I mean you know you kind of look to them sometimes for encouragement or yeah you know what happened after that that moment of like you know I always call those those are the life remix moments when we just look at it right and so was that before you started blue music or no, this actually happened just a couple of years ago. Okay. This happened in 2015. Yeah. I was, um, I just moved back to Toronto. I actually, I had this idea. <laughs> I had this entrepreneurial idea that I wanted to start a business mm. and it was a really cool idea. Um, and, uh, I just thought because I had moved back to Toronto and I had just sold my home that, I, and I had a little bit of extra money that I could maybe invest in something that I would want to maybe invest in something totally off the mm-hmm. whatever startup. And um, I was really going about like getting, you know, some a little bit of like, you know, research done for it. And every time I would talk about it, my mom would look at me like I had three heads like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> it was like an online grocery store. I'm not even joking. <laughs> <laughs> going through a midlife crisis. No, I just... Uh, the reason why it had happened was it was around the time that I was kind of going through like a crucial reinvention period of my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided to really scale back um, what I was playing. Well, I don't want to say scale back, but like I changed yeah, you're- what it was doing musically mm-hmm. and uh, reinvent myself essentially. And it was a really tough time because I was in this record deal that I had been signed to since 2012 that I was locked into and like that didn't really do anything you know for me I released an album that I worked really hard on for that label it did okay but it wasn't like anything that helped my career and then all of a sudden I was trying to get you know um you know credibility from an industry that was not wanting to welcome me with open arms because I was known for playing Mm -hmm. you know commercial stuff. And so that was a really challenging time for me because it was like, I didn't fit anywhere. I felt, you know, and it was like, well, I can either kind of scale back on my DJing and like, uh, you know, try to try a new project and see if that works or I can just go full, like 
head first back into this again, take a minute. Like I took that minute. I thought about it, you know, and, uh, I just, I, I chose option B and I just went for it because at the time when it was going through it, the only reason why I was thinking about doing something else was because, um, I was in this weird, like, where do I fit period? But as soon as you like kind of got still and I really listened to my gut, I was like, oh, wait, no, I just have to keep working at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I did it, and it was like the best uh, decision I could have ever made in my life because my the last two years of my career have probably been the best. The, that they've, the best, yeah. Yeah, you and, know? Your, and your production. I mean, I mean, there, I remember watching you go through that, and I, and I, I get it, it too. People think I did it really easily. They're yeah. like, oh. You did so well with um. They have no idea. No idea. Well, yeah, it's like it's, it's <laughs> financially, it was a hit. Right. Like my image wise, it was a hit. Like yeah, trying to find people to work with. Like you know what I mean. Like it, it was tough. I still sometimes feel that people look at me a certain way because of that. But I feel like that's almost gone now. And I, like I mean, I've had records out on some really legit underground labels. Yeah. Took those first few guys to say, "Oh wait, this is a good record. Who gives yeah. a fuck?" You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and it's it's tricky too because I've gone through that in my own. You know, it's like you get pigeonholed as something. You know, I've gotten you, and it's and it's hard to be like, but this there's so much more to me than just that. You know? Yeah. And you start putting out records that don't fit into that pigeonhole, and then yeah. it's I totally I get it. I've gone through very similar you know route with that. But yeah. now it's like, I mean, I find, you know, I play your records way more now than I did before, you know, and make way better music now. I don't even listen to, I don't even want to listen to the music I play before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really happy, proud of the stuff that I've made. Yeah, I mean, and you're on really big labels, you know, so I think it's, it's amazing to see <clears throat> how well you've done it. Um, regardless of the struggle, because we all have the struggle. That's just, nobody sees the struggle, right? Yeah. You know. So, like, yeah. what do you think the biggest challenge in that was for you um, personally, and how, what tool did you use to get through it? Uh, the biggest challenge: uh, trying to convince people that I was relevant. Mm. You know, because then it, it, I had to like. Um, because they, they say, oh, well, it doesn't matter what other people think. But then it's like <laughs> right. you have to convince a bunch of people to work with you. Yeah. So it was like trying to keep a balance of not going crazy and not worrying too much about what people thought of me. But at the same time, like just consistently pitching myself and getting rejected until, you know, people started signing my records or, you know, playing for me. Because that was, you know, there was also the challenge of trying to book people, you know, for my events. And Mm -hmm. I had a similar challenge with that, you know, people kind of looked at my event maybe as more of a commercial thing and to get, you know, it was a lot easier to get people to play for me than to sign my music. Um, because you know, money talks, (laughs) but it was still, but still some people they're picky and, you know, just, just to start working with, um, a lot of people from that world. It was uh, it was a slow but sure process that and um, and winning people over, you know. Uh, 
and proving to the people that said that I wasn't mm-hmm. going to succeed that I was because just because a couple of people, you know, you know, maybe didn't want to work with me or, uh, you know, had their own misconceptions or preconceived notions about me doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be. You know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe it was a certain way at that time. Um, but I had to show them that it wasn't going to be like that, yeah. you know? So, um, so I think that that was a big challenge for me. So I worked really, really hard, really, really hard at, um, at, uh, changing people's like perception of me. Yeah. I mean, and eventually it's like the music speaks for itself. It's like, you know, I agree. I agree. But it, it's crazy how much like, even just with like signing music, like it, that, that part's a real challenge. It's still mm-hmm. a challenge to me now. For a while, I thought, oh, maybe it's because I'm a girl. They're not listening. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you send tracks to these labels. They don't even listen to them. And yeah. it's like, are they, they, do they think that I'm too commercial? Do they, are they just really busy? Mm-hmm. Are they just putting their label poorly? <laughs> Who knows? You know what I mean? I think it's a combination of all of those things. And I think that if you sit and analyze it over and over again, you'll go crazy. crazy. So yeah. the most thing is there's always going to be people that are not going to work with you go with people that do want to work with you and you know like instead of like trying to work with this one person over and over again I just tried to work with everybody and uh you know in under the umbrella of the sound that I was going for and you know a lot I got a lot of uh rejection or just not interest and then you know hot since 82 signed me one day and then Steve Lawler signed me one day. Right. Stuff, stuff like that helped. Yeah, definitely. I mean, knee deep in sound. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what inspired you then to create your own label um, and to, to run Blue Music? That was actually also from another really challenging time for me. Um, and see, great things come out of challenging yes. times. Yes. Amen. Really good stuff. Uh, I always remember that every time I go through a new challenging time. Mm. That... Um, that something good could come really good could come out of this. Um, but, uh, yeah, at the time, at this time, I did not know this at all. I thought my whole world was falling apart. Basically I was, it was 2008 and it was the end of 2008, I think maybe early 2009. And I was working with dead mouse for a couple years, maybe a year and a half or something like that at that point. And, um, I had had like one more release coming out, or out on Mousetrap. And then just, we just stopped working together and like, we kind of separated. I mean, I, a lot of people know that we dated. I never used to talk about it publicly. I don't really care now because it's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything bad to say about them. You know, we're, you know, we're cordial and friends or whatever. We don't talk about Like, I mean, you know, we say hi to each other when we see each other and stuff. And, um, I got so much out of that working relationship and that personal relationship, you know, that I don't, I don't ever look at it in a negative way. But at the time, oops, <laughs> sorry, okay. uh, um, I was on Most Trap, and uh, basically, when we broke up, his management was like, "We don't want to work with you anymore," mm. and I was like. They were like, you know, you were his girlfriend and like we were working with you because of that. But, you know, if you guys are going to be broken up, that's going to be weird. We can't continue to work with you. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? (laughs) (laughs) 
I had literally just gotten signed. He, they had just signed me. Wow. And, but we didn't sign a contract. So they had just taken me on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? And so then I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And I just quit all my residencies in, in Toronto, all my gigs mm-hmm. that I had been playing weekly, the, that were paying my rent. <laughs> and I quit them all. And then we break up. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll just, we'll continue to work together. It'll all be all good. And literally, like the next day, I get a call from the management. They're like, yeah, since you broke up, we think it's probably best, you know, that. And I was like, okay, so I just got dropped from my label, my management. I don't have any gigs. What the <laughs> f- am I going to do? Right? <laughs> it was fucking scary as fuck. Wow. I was like 30 years old at the time, it was 10 years ago. And uh, I was like, I did not know what I was going to do. So I started Blue Music. And and people were like, well, why don't you just use this opportunity to um, start your own record label? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could do that. And uh, it was – so, yeah. So I had – this whole thing happened with uh, uh, me not working with the management of, of Mousetrap and the label anymore and stuff. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And then, you know, I was like, well, maybe I'll use this opportunity to start Blue Music and start my own thing. And I had one record that was already written that was supposed to come out on Mousetrap. It was our very first record that we released on Blue Music. It was called Instinct. I named it Instinct. And it was supposed to come out on Mousetrap. And I was like, well, this could be my very first record. And I got Joel's permission to release it on Blue Music. He was like, yeah, that's fine. And... Yeah, and that that was the beginning of Blue Music. That was 2009, I think. And um, like I said, yeah, it was like it was a challenging moment for me because I was like, fuck, what do I do? But it really made me um, uh, become my own artist because at the time I was I got global success off of this one or these two big records on Mousetrap. Mm-hmm. And that was cool, but there was a lot of negative uh, perception that went along with that. Like I was dead mouse's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I only got big because of him. And like, I was just a really big local in Toronto at the time. And, you know, it was almost like that had just gone out the window. Eight years of work had just gone out the window. And all of a sudden I was just dead mouse's girlfriend or, you know, the girl that was on mouse trap and then just got dropped. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, I, I, I've, I've been a DJ for eight years now. I had a huge following in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this can't be, you know, I got to figure something out with this. So it was cool. It was a good thing because because if that hadn't happened, I might have just continued on to get bigger and bigger, you know, being attached to the whole Mousetrap thing, which is not a bad thing because it's a massive record label and whatever. But, like, it made me go and start my own thing. Yeah. You know, whether or not that's as big as what he was doing, that's a totally different story. Like, I mean, my path is my path yeah. and I wouldn't change it for a fucking thing. Like I've had such a great, you know, um, career with my own brand. Yeah. Like my, my my identity is, you know, my brand. And I learned from the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a really um, educational experience for me working with him because his brand turned into the biggest brand in the world, literally. Mm-hmm. And then I got to use what I saw from that and do my own thing, yeah. you know? Um, and I took what I could from it. And then I started my own thing. I started blue music and then, yeah. And then, Oh yeah. This is what I was getting before, before the phone started going off. Um, 
the uh, promoter, the big promoter in uh, in Mansion, Miami. Mm. Uh, I had played for him, and he he was running this place called Opium Group. He actually his name's Carlos Coriel. He runs uh, he runs uh, Insomniac now. And he uh, saw me play, and he was like, you know, I'd opened for Dead Mouse, and he and in Miami, and he was like, you know what, I would love for you to move down here and become a resident of Mansion, like an international resident. You'll play here like eight times every four to six weeks, and then you know we'll have you tour, uh, you know, North America and stuff like that in between. But it would be cool if you were based in Miami. And I was like, fuck it, what have I got to lose? Right. So that's that was the beginning of my own journey, you know, and it was, a. It, if all the stuff hadn't happened before, I never would have done all that. Yeah, so that's amazing. Yeah. yeah it, was very, it was a shitty situation that turned into like the best thing. That- so then is that when you started blue part the Miami winter music conference, blue party? Yeah, that's when it started. Um, I started Blue Music in 2009, and our very first Blue Party was 2010. So the Blue Party started pretty much as Blue Music began, mm-hmm. and the Blue Party has been a constant um, in the evolution of the brand. You know, the brand has obviously changed as I have musically, mm-hmm. but you know, the one thing I pride it on is the fact that it was always. Um, a brand that you know went for like the top say like um, music that I is inspiring me at that moment and mm-hmm. so you know it's I love love booking music that I'm artists that I'm playing their tracks or whatever and or I love their music and I, I bring them in to play with me you know for one of my events I love doing that yeah what do you? What was one of the first things you know in that transition period when you signed an artist to your label, where you're like, "Ah, I got this guy," you know, or "I got this person," and I'm so excited. Who was uh, that? What track? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, we had um, the at the very beginning there are these Russian kids, Kotelov and Wild. I think they released the third mm. record on our label I can't remember what it was called she walks alone or something and I remember I really love that and I was excited to like release it into the wild you know mm-hmm. even like just recently we had this kid Alex Castaneda he released three track EP with us and it went like number one on the Prague house track source chart and it was like number one for like two months and like who'd have thought like right. I never realized that you know it would have you know had the success it did and that's a, a favorite thing of mine is discovering new talent, you know, it's discovering stuff that you wouldn't necessarily hear through, you know, I just feel a lot of this stuff on Beatport's really generic. It's the same artists over and over and over recycled and stuff. So I really like discovering new talent. That's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And I know you just so, said the, the Carson Sellers. I love him. Yeah. Carson. Yeah. That's, yeah. He, I mean, he, he, I met him. My friend, you know, Shane had was like, "You and Carson need to know each other. You guys are so, you're gonna love each other." And then we actually met, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's my yeah. boo now!" But yeah, he's he's on the up, and he's gonna just keep getting bigger. So it's awesome that you yeah. have him on blue. Yeah, yeah, he's great. That is exciting. So what else is coming on blue? Then can you share some stuff that's about to drop? Or um, let's see. I. Uh... 
Carabata and Dunes. Um, there are these wicked kids from, I always call them kids. I don't know if they're, but <laughs> these wicked guys from uh, Miami. I think they're on Roger Sanchez's label. They gave me a really cool EP. I got something coming up from him. And then also um, a local from Toronto producer who's amazing as well. His name is Leo Franco. Mm. He has stuff coming up. We're literally just going through distribution switch over right now. So we don't have a huge, um, we do not have a huge like uh, upcoming schedule because we're going through this huge uh, switch of distributors. But um, we do have two releases lined up next uh, for the fall. Oh, and then I think we have something by Espinola Nova coming out as well. I have to check. But yeah, still like we're, we use a lot of the guys that have released with us before. We re-release with them. And then um, I'm always, my ears are always open to listening to new music. So I'm always checking stuff out. Like even when we are, even though we are in this like break, I'm still like going through stuff. I love the A&R job. It's a great, it's a great job to have listening to music. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 And what about you personally on stuff that you're releasing? Um, I have something coming out on Desert Hearts. Nice. Uh, a track called "Get Over Yourself" <laughs> that's coming <laughs> out on uh, in the fall. I'm not sure exactly when, but um, I'm really excited to be releasing with Desert Hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like two or three other things that are kind of like in the works right now, but I don't want to say. I can't say. I know. it's all good. <laughs> we have those moments. <laughs> but it's but there, that'll be good. I had a really good summer releasing with Carrie Chandler's label, uh, Mad Tech Records. I released with um, Knee Deep in Sound. We discussed that. And, uh, oh, I have a remix coming out for the Soup Guys from New York City. They're really cool. They're like house heads from New York. And I, I release a lot of music with them, uh, Soup NYC. Nice. So, exciting. yeah. I'm, lots of music coming out. So when you're not in the music mind... What what do you like to do outside of music? What are some of your favorite uh, things to do? I I really like to um, disconnect if I can uh, in one way or another. So I like to do yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I think exercise is important. Yeah, in feeling good in your head. Um, I try to. Um, run I try to do things like that just things to disconnect um and I go up north to see my family a lot to take breaks much needed breaks it's I'm from like literally the middle of fucking nowhere (laughs) in Canada like literally the middle of nowhere I'm cold thinking about it it's cold but in the summer it's beautiful like it's been gorgeous the last few months there and so I spend a lot of time in between my touring up there and I just let go. I relax. I go and I sit, I meditate. Yes. I like to meditate. I took up meditating over the last couple of years as well. Beautiful. I think that that's also helped me a lot with uh, my work. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just sitting there and, and unplugging and relaxing. It's, it's important. And I, I do it because I'm like really addicted to productivity Mm-hmm. And so if I want to get the best out of myself, you know, I have to treat myself as best possible, you know, it's the mm-hmm. way I see. Yeah. I'm happy to hear you say that. I'm always push. I'm a meditation pusher. Like, yeah. I'm like, y'all just 
just meditate. I'm telling you. I just took it up. I just took it up over the last like couple years because I started getting really into Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm really into a lot of podcasts. So that's why when you asked me to do this, I was really excited about it. Um, but I love like say Tim Ferriss, for example, because he points out the fact that, you know, if you want to look at what people who are doing that are all really winning at their lives, yeah. uh, that's one big thing that they all have in common. And then it like, you don't really understand why until you start really getting into it and realizing the benefits of it until you realize, whoa, maybe this is what I had wrong all along. Maybe mm-hmm. this is going to make me win at life, like how I react to everything in my life, you know? Yeah. So that's why I'm really into stuff like that because, and I just got into it over the last couple of years and maybe that also has had a play in why the last couple of years have been good for me is because I've been so focused. It's helped me really focus on, um, you know, what's important and stuff. So yeah, uh, that's the kind of stuff I do. Like when I'm off, like I'll, I, I'll read a book or something like that about something like this, or I'll listen to a podcast Yeah, or some, or I'll do yoga, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. What sort of things do you hold sacred? My dog. <laughs> mm, he is a little cutie. What is your dog's name again? Nico. Nico. Okay. I wanted to say I wanted to say Nando, and I was like, no, that's my client's dog's name. What's your dog? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not here. My mom actually up north, where that <laughs> that place I was telling you about. Um, I uh, I just came back. I've been like I said, spending a lot of time up there on my off time, so I just left him instead of taking him back and forth. But he is my life. I adopted him when I was living in Los Angeles. Mm. And I brought him over. Uh, to Toronto, I immigrated him to Canada, <laughs> and he's like this little like LA street dog that like I have to bundle up in like snowsuits in the winter. <laughs> he's like, "Fuck this! How did I get here? <laughs> this is bullshit." I'm <laughs> oh wow! He's like, "This is not okay." Do you are you that kind of? Do you put jackets on him? Oh yeah, he's got all. <laughs> wardrobe he has to because he's not meant for these temperatures yeah. like he's meant to be in the yeah. like i don't know not the, not in that kind of cold and like he's not meant to be <laughs> he's not meant to be in canada but great like i love having he's a good you know when he help makes me go for walks you know i work at home i'm sure you can relate to this you're working at home you're working yeah. on music all day you're sending out emails your brain is fried by 3 p.m i yeah. need to get the out of here it actually sucks because i don't have my dog with me at this moment and i just want to go for a walk which i can do that without the dog but like you know like there's nothing better of a feeling than taking a break and walking and i walk with my dog and i that's i definitely hold those moments sacred um my family my mom like that's really important to me you know now that you know i'm older and what do i hold sacred music it's you know it's everything i live breathe eat it <laughs> yeah. so uh, i mean you know like i i live for it for that so yeah what do you if if you could give yourself advice like your younger self what would you say to younger joanne um everything is going to be okay mm. <laughs> yeah uh because i was just always worried panic 
like if something bad happened that my whole life was going to end because of it. Mm. And I, it's funny cause I see, you know, I have, I had a, an intern, not a couple interns actually in the past and I see them react to things this way. And I'm like, I just want to be like, listen, mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> breathe, breathe. Exactly. But I, I relate to that feeling of being 20 something and thinking this one bad thing is everything and it's going to ruin your whole life. Yeah. I relate to that. But it's hard to know at that time because you haven't gone through the stuff and you don't realize, oh, wait, this could be good. You know, you, you don't stop and think stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you, you think, holy shit, no, what am I going to do? So that's probably what I'd say. Yeah. If you were stranded on an island... And you mm-hmm. only had one album to inspire you to get you off of the island. What would it be? Oh, my God. <laughs> one album. One album that literally is stuck on repeat, but it's going to move you to get the heck off that island. What would it be? Oh, but it's going to move me? To yeah, get... like just inspire you to get off the island. You're stranded. It's kind of like Castaway, and you remember he had his little... <laughs> Madonna, Madonna confessions. Yes. All right. I mean, I feel like in a way that album did inspire me to do some stuff. Cause at the time I remember when it came out, it was, I remember being at the end of my local DJ game and it was right before I had started working with Joel and I got, in the studio with him and I was getting really into music production. Mm-hmm. So, and it's funny, a lot of that, that, those songs are really inspiring, like jump. Yeah. You know, that was my favorite Madonna I'm tour. What all face, but I'm afraid to stay, mm. you know? Yeah. It those was- are really inspiring words. That's exactly how I felt at that time. That's exact. That's when that album came out. So, cause I would just did not want to be a local DJ anymore. I didn't want to play the same clubs every weekend in Toronto. Um, I wanted to get the fuck out of the country. I wanted to tour. I wanted to travel. And that was, yeah, that was probably the catalyst that got me off the island. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. it. Great. Oh, sweet. So when you go to write in the studio, so, I mean, I think you're, I feel like I've seen screenshots. You like live, right? Ableton is your jam. Yeah. Um, when you go in to write a track, do you set an intention of what you're trying to, like what you want to do, or do you allow the muse to just come? Like, yeah, lately I've been like, I want to do this because, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time, like I'm trying to, uh, I'm still just trying to get an idea of where I want my sound to go. Uh, because I do like various kinds of tech house, for example. So I can go in a proggy direction or I can go in a more tech house direction. I definitely think that when I sit down, I kind of think about that because um, it's sometimes I'm thinking about the record labels that I want to try to release it on. Yeah. So I don't know, like people would probably say that's not the best idea, but I don't have the freedom to really just write whatever I want. You know what I mean? I have to think about where I'm going to release it because that's definitely, like I said, that's been what I've done over the last year, a couple years to get, you know, the attention of people to show them that, you know what I mean? I could release on knee deep and sound and stuff like that. So I, I, sir, and by the way, that doesn't always work either. Like sometimes, 
release stuff, you can write stuff for a record label and they won't think it's right for their label. But if you try, that sometimes is good because it helps with uh, having some sort of a direction. Yeah, I I actually, I'm a fan of that. I'd say 80% of the time, that's what I do because... I just, but I'm very intentional in my life, period. You know, like for me, everything is about intention. And so for yeah. me, when I go to sit down, I, I I think of that too. It's like I have, I envision, you know, what time of the night I want to play it, who's playing it, where, you know, if it could go on any label. I'm this, I, I actually find that that, it actually keeps me focused. And then there are times when I purposely go into the studio of like, I have zero intention. I just want to like play. And then I just allow whatever kind of comes through. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I like to do too, and I've been doing this lately. It's like just get. I like to games, you know. So I like to gamify things. So sometimes I'll go in, and I'll I'll say, all right, I have to try and write this type of track, like in a genre that is so completely different, just so that I learn different skills. Oh, and really? then and it's like I'll only try and write a two minute thing, you know, because I do stuff yeah, for, yeah. for TV and like film and stuff like that. So like that will trigger like an idea for me to then bring into something else and it's it's but I literally go in of like I'm just going to play a game for like an hour or something and it right. it just completely remixes my creative flow I find That's it's fine. fun yeah it's it it brings fun into it because the other times it can be you know it's work we're we're, yeah, yeah. we're hired to do it <laughs> yeah sure I'm like I went on like a little like Oh, I'm gonna make some progressive housey records this this summer mm-hmm. journey or light. Well, it was more like the spring, and I did that for a bit. And now I'm getting a little bit more back into darker tech house. So I just go, I evolve all the time, yeah. you know, in my brain about what I want to do and try and stuff. So, so when it is all said and done, what do you want the legacy of Joanne to, slash Sydney Blue to be? Um. I mean, you know, I think in the end, I think that I'd like to have a long career of being a great DJ, making good music, but also like, you know, pushing boundaries and doing, um, going over and above, you know, what maybe a DJ would just a, just a touring DJ does. Like I'm always trying to do new things. Um, like I just pitched a brand new radio show to a major radio broadcaster in Canada. You know, hopefully I'll get it. I'm on, you know, the Juno committee here in Canada for, which is our Canadian Grammys kind of thing. And I introduced a new category for independent music right now. You know, that's kind of like the new journey that I've taken over the last year is just trying to get more involved in like um, kind of like stamping this this type of independent electronic music, like, you know what I mean, and bringing it to the forefront of, you know, my country. And then also like as a DJ, it's really important to me, like on an international level to obviously like be known as just being a good solid DJ with like a long career, um, you know, and writing great, great tunes. Like I don't want to ever stop DJing. I made that decision like in the last couple of years, probably when I, when I was mentioning, I was going through that, like, should I keep doing this? Like I made that decision. Like I was like, that's it. And you know what? I've had conversations about this, like with other friends of mine, DJ friends of mine that have been doing it for a long time too. And 
there's no need to stop. Like, just because like, you know, society might tell us, you know, like, or as women, like we can only do stuff like this to a certain age. Like I I call bullshit on that now. And I used to say it to myself that I would stop at a certain age. Why, why, why do I have to stop? I don't want to stop. It's not good for women over a certain age to be in a nightclub, you know, stuff like that. that. That's bullshit. Yeah. And our music is so young, like it's only 30 years old, really, if you think about it. So it's growing now into a point where there's going to be all kinds of old DJs. <laughs> I say you do is do what you love. If you love it, keep doing it. Just we're all going to be in nursing homes with hearing aids. <laughs> Lock it out, okay? And there's no need to, there's no need to stop just yeah. because think the society is telling you to stop so i don't ever want to stop yeah, i don't care i'll I, be an old lady i feel like it's about it's evolving remixing reworking yeah it's, yeah exactly so i know that i always want to do this yeah. i made that decision so hopefully you know i'll make have a good legacy of whatever <laughs> all that stuff all the all that jazz yeah well awesome well i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today Thanks for having me. I don't know when I'll see you again, but hopefully soon. You can always come back. I know. Like anytime you want. You just are. I've been talking to somebody about doing a blue party in Denver, actually. All but right. uh, it has not come to fruition yet. But I'll, I'm definitely going to give him a nudge. Yeah. <laughs> you let me know. Yeah. I'm into yeah, it. The, there's definitely been a lot of chats chats about it, but it hasn't come to fruition just yet. So, But I think it might very soon. Awesome. All right. Well, let me do whatever. Let me know whatever I can do to help. Okay. All right. All right. So we'll talk soon. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I'll make sure I link up all of your socials, everything in the show notes to everyone and all that good stuff. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found something inspiring with my conversation with Joanne. If you did, let us know. Take a picture with your phone. Tag us on Instagram put it in a story and let us know what you found helpful. I will link all of Sydney's information in the show notes so that you can find her, follow her and listen to her music. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and I'll see you on the next episode. Sending you all so much love, creativity, joy and magic. Take care.